Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Lead at Work and at Home, episode number 10. We're in the double digits. Pretty cool. If this is your first time joining, I want to welcome you. Really excited to get to the interview with Coach Matt Lyle. But of course, before we get there, here is this week's edition of Mark's Musings. If I asked you who was Kaiser Soze, many of you would know who he is. And if you don't, please be sure to go back and watch The Usual Suspects, which incidentally is my wife's favorite movie. But if I asked you who was Jeffrey Holder, would you know who he is? And if the answer is no, I hope this will refresh your memory. All of these soft drinks have caffeine, all of them. Surprised? Now you can't see it or smell it, but oh yes, it's there. 7-Up is light and refreshing, crisp and clean, and no caffeine. Never had it? (laughs) Never will. And of course, that is the voice of none other than Jeffrey Holder. Jeffrey Holder was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad, and many of you might remember him as well as Punjab from the 1982 movie Annie. He was also a painter and a writer. He directed The Wiz, where he won a Tony Award. He was also in a James Bond movie starring Roger Moore. And sadly, Jeffrey Holder passed away on October 4th, 2014 of pneumonia. I found re-watching that commercial really interesting. And as I've talked about on this show, I am someone that struggles with anxiety. I don't talk about it that often, but anyone who is an anxiety sufferer, sufferer knows how debilitating it can be. And when I think about anxiety, I think about two different mindsets. One is light and refreshing, and that's exactly what 7-Up said. It's a feeling of being mindful, being aware, having fun, being in the present moment, having a clear mind, and having a lot of confidence. If I flipped it, though, and focused on never having it and never will, that becomes the anxious part of me, the self-doubt, sometimes self-sabotage, avoiding things. So for me, I'm kind of in this stuck moment of feeling light and refreshing and then having this extreme self-doubt. But I will say, in spite of those two mindsets, I'm also really proud of my ability to keep moving forward. This podcast to me really represents where I am in my life. It's starting with episode one, being afraid and fearful to just hit the record button and just start talking. Fears of feeling judged, not being good enough. And so when that occurs in our life, the next step is we avoid things. For me, it comes out in social situations. I'm working on it. I'm aware of it. And I think a lot of you can relate to how I'm feeling. But the key to all of this is in spite of how you're feeling, in spite of those roadblocks, just keep pushing forward. Because the more we can push and the more we can start knocking away all of that self-doubt, the better chance we have to feel more light and refreshing. So today's episode is dedicated to Mr. Jeffrey Holder, crisp and clean, no caffeine, never had it, never will. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. I am now excited to get to the interview with Coach Matt Lyle. Matt Lyle is the most followed coach on the internet with over 1 million followers. Very enlightening, very inspiring. (laughs) 
and I think you're going to really enjoy today's episode, my interview with Coach Ben. Hey, Matt Lyle, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mark. Absolutely. Now, you're in San Francisco? Uh, yeah, the Bay Area. I'm about, I live about 30 miles east of San Francisco. So are the Niners going to cover the spread on Sunday? Ha! You know, my whole entire family is uh, Niners fans, except for me. I kind of grew up a Dolphins fan and tra- transformed to a little bit of a Raiders fan for whatever reason. So I've always rooted against the 49ers. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see. Well, I think the whole city of Chicago was thrilled when Robbie Gold hit that um, field goal at the end in the snow. I mean, if you like football, watching those games this past weekend was amazing. Watching Buffalo and the Chiefs play was as good as it gets in sports. Absolutely. I don't get a, I don't get very many weekends to watch a lot of football. For some reason, this weekend was. And every fourth quarter and every game was incredible all weekend long. I put on my Instagram post a picture of um, Patrick Mahomes running across the field to greet Josh Allen. I just thought it was amazing that here's this guy at the highest level and then just takes a couple seconds to acknowledge his opponent in the most respectful way. That's great. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So I just want to kind of start out. I think your story is fascinating. You know, for the people meeting you for the first time, I would love to get an idea of how a person goes from, you know, being homeless, which you write about in your Webs in your website, being homeless in 2010, to pretty much being the internet's most followed baseball and softball coach. Yeah, well, you know it's funny is is uh, you know the term homeless is very interesting because I think we all uh, view it in different lenses and and for and you know a lot of people it's self inflicted or, or it's not you know environment and so for me you know I grew up the oldest of seven kids and we didn't have a lot of money so when I when I got out onto my own and moved out 19 years old, you know, uh, and trying to get jobs and, you know, I didn't have a lot of support in that sense. So for me, I got into coaching. I was a high school varsity baseball coach at 24 and I thought, you know what, let's make this a dream. So I, just like you, I, I taught PE at the high school level, uh, a little bit. Uh, I was actually Marcus Simeon's high school coach. Uh, and, uh, so I, I taught a long time and trying to make ends meet and, and having kids and family and, I kept trying to make, you know, trying to make up, kind of create up the ladder in coaching. And if anybody knows the the coaching world, if you're trying to break into it and you have no connections, you never played in college, you never played in pros, you have, it, it's a very difficult uh, task. And so for me, I kept just running up against, uh, you know, who are you? What have you done? And, and not having any connections. And it's a world that's very difficult to get in otherwise. So I was coaching travel ball in high school and, and just kind of my bills caught up to me at one point. And uh, I remember telling my landlord, Hey, you can keep the deposit. I'll kind of just stay a couple more weeks. And, and so, you know, 2010 kind of tr- coaching high school ball a little bit, trying to run the camps and trying to do different things, just could not pay the bills uh, for my family. And, and so I, again, I, I lived out of my car for a little bit and food stamps and I had, you know, a lot of tuna and I lived on a lot of couches. Of, I don't, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of family and friends. And so that was the time for me is like, okay, maybe this is coaching thing, you know, shouldn't be happening. And and a lot of people throughout my journey had said, get a real job. And, you know, for me, I just, I always believed in what my calling was and my purpose and and, and impacting uh, student athletes and kids. And for me, I just said, Hey, I know, I, I believe in this, I believe in this calling. I'm not going to give up on it. And just, again, just kind of continued that. And, for me, fast forward a couple of years, 2012, 
uh, I got an opportunity to be the volunteer assistant and I was a hitting coach at the University of Oregon for softball. And at the same time, I went all in on social media. And back then, social media was just different. You could you could build a following really quickly if you provided a lot of value. And so, you know, I wasn't trying to sell anything. I just gave away every coaching tip and everything I've learned from about coaching, parenting, you know, anything that I thought was valuable to share on social media as a father, a husband, a dad, like these, you know, as a different things. And a coach, I, I started sharing them, and so the next thing you know, I had a hundred thousand followers, then two hundred thousand followers, and just kind of kind of just snowballed. And it, from there, it allowed me to tell everyone, "Hey, you know, I have this product, a website called the Hitting Vault," and I was able to, you know, just be able to gain momentum. I worked with a lot of pro baseball players, and kind of just uh, was able to break through a lot of barriers to getting to coach at the Division One level and the SEC and the Pac-12, and, and getting a, an opportunity to coach in Major League Baseball, and and so you know. I, for me, it really was just—it's just really a story of of you know not listening to everybody who says you know your dreams are stupid or you need to get a real job. And for me, I, there was just something in my heart and my mind that said, "This this is your calling. Don't give up on it. Keep going." Uh, and it, through those rock bottom times and a lot of other times, it was difficult to uh, hear that voice sometimes. But uh, at least it was still there, and, and I, I'm just I'm very fortunate to you know a lot of luck along the way as well, and so that kind of catches you up from uh, you know from the beginning to to where I am now. Did you ever want to quit? Oh, a lot of times. I mean, that I think for me, you know, I there uh, there's been some uh, mental health stuff in my family in general. I think there's patterns. I also have a brother who has Down syndrome and. Just, just little stuff like anxiety and depression, and uh, I, you know, uh, I have a family member with uh, who's bipolar, and so, you know, I think when you when you battle these really difficult times, it's hard, it's difficult for your mind not to get depressed and and, and anxious and say, you know, what this is this this is a dumb idea. Everyone else must be right. You have to be wrong, and so th- there were a lot of times just the voice of self doubt uh, comes into your head when you failed or you fail. If you hit a lot of roadblocks and you fail a lot, it's easy to get to that place and go, you know what, you know, maybe I was wrong. Uh, and I, I, th- I still think to this day, I still uh, battle those things. I think for me, um, you know, having imposter syndrome and battling imposter syndrome in the sense that, you know, I never played in the pros. I never really played in college. And for, for a lot of people, they view me as you know, this hitting coach that you know, works at the major league. And I, I, I give I get a lot of uh, credibility in this coaching world. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, why, what, why does he deserve that? And, and for me, when the haters come out and the trolls and all those things, you know, it's easy to uh, hear those and, and say, okay, yeah, maybe those guys are right. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm not really that good. Yeah, I, I com- the, the imposter syndrome is fascinating. I always think of the anxiety for me. Remember the movie Gremlins? <laughs> yeah. So the idea of, you know, don't feed them after midnight, don't give them. Uh, any credit yep. and so that that negative self-talk becomes almost innate in part of you and so I think what what you're sharing is this idea of accepting that this is where you are but also realizing that that doesn't define who you are so I think that's a pretty amazing message and the correlation between the struggles you've had with your family and the messages that you're sharing with other people to me make perfect sense and to kind of understand how, how you end up achieving the things that you've achieved yeah, I just I just think that you know everyone's got different dreams and visions of of what they want, and I just for whatever reason stubbornness, uh, you know, the different things that drive the ambition for me. I just there was always something in my head that said, 
Uh, God's calling you to bigger things and, uh, and to make an impact in people's lives. And all of this other stuff are challenges to these things and they're going to make you better at doing these things so can you know continue to fight through them and for whatever reason i said i'm very fortunate that that i kind of was able to dodge a lot of those uh, things or at least get through them uh to get where i am and yeah i i know a lot of times i wanted to quit i know a lot of friends or people i've come across in their journey who have quit and, and are still struggling with that today well for those that are, are new to you I, I share with you off air but your posts on linkedin are amazing when i'm having kind of a low energy day and i see you post a picture of a kid and his father playing catch it just brings me back to the days i played with my dad and just for a brief second i get a bit of a smile so i think the value that you're adding to people and in using linkedin you know a lot of professionals are there it just gives them a bit of an escape and i, I don't find it to be very self-promoting i just think you're just sharing something that is meaningful that people can grasp to and it really it really i think resonates with a lot of people yeah, I think I, you know, a lot of people ask me a lot of times, like, what was your strategy for social media? Or what is your strategy? Like, what's your thing? And I, and I, I said, here's my strategy. If it resonates with me, as my, my identity, number one, is in father and a husband. And from there, it's a coach. And, and so for me, if it resonates with me as one of those things, whether it's a dad joke or something about coaching and parenting, or you know, if it resonates with me and it, it, like just like you, it stirs this kind of feeling in you. Like, okay, this this is for me. That was my strategy. I'm I'm just going to share these things that come on my heart or in my mind that, that I think, um, you know, I, I think other people that are similar to me or are similar in their journeys would say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That 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 resonates with my story too or my mindset. And so that was really my entire strategy. Is kind of this. Um, I would say empathetic uh, way of saying, okay, what, you know, what would people like me want to hear uh, from me and, and, and share with them and make their days better or uh, what, what inspires and motivates me? I'm just going to share those things. And like I said, what, there was no real uh, strategy to it other than, uh, does this resonate with me? Yes. Okay. I'm going to share it. Just don't put up the scene from Field of Dreams when the guy says, Dad, how about a catch? Because if you do, I'll have to log <laughs> off my computer because I'll be crying like a little baby, like every man cries. Um, let's talk about your book. I, I thought it was really interesting. The title to me, you know, I've coached uh, for years and I get emails from parents all the time. Dear coach, real emails from parents behaving badly on the field, at home and behind their computer screens. I read a little bit about it. I, I read some articles of these emails about the kid who, whose mother called him during the game because it wasn't getting <laughs> playing time and she's shouting from the other side. Uh, the, the truth is, though, it's funny, but the youth sports culture has just become so intoxicating with well-intended people turning into something that they're just not. How has all of this unraveled and what the hell can we do to protect the social emotional benefit of our children yeah i mean it's it's uh it's tough I, it, the the idea of the book really came into play with my if my dad my dad coached youth uh baseball for a long time 30 plus years and coached high school baseball and we used to always joke you know what we're gonna save all these emails we get from these crazy parents and one day we're gonna make a book about it and we kept joking about it and that, you know it just never really happened and then a couple years ago i said you know what I'm going to put a Facebook post out there and ask people to submit stories and emails that they've gotten, coaches and parents, and uh, 
And next thing you know, I had so many to go through, and I had a kind of a, a crew of friends and coaches to kind of go through all these. Which ones are great? Which ones are funny? Which ones are tragic? And we put together and just put together this book of all these emails, and I hired an illustrator. I just thought it would be really fun. I hired a really good illustrator to illustrate one image for every email. So like you said, like the parent uh, calling the kid during the game on the cell phone, like, you know, I, I had the illustrator draw this cartoon. And so there's just, and the book is really fun because it's this crazy, you know, email from a parent, but it's, there's also this comic and this really cool illustration that goes along with it that, you know, you can put yourself in the picture of it and it's, it, it makes it funny. So, you know, nowadays, but I'll tell you, one of the things I learned about that that project was I would tell you that a good 20 to 30% of the emails that I got, uh, I read them and I said, you know what? You were the crazy parent in the story. Uh, you were the parent that was, um, you know, to me, I w- was the crazy parent story. So, you know, I thought, I think what I learned about it a lot is that I think still, you know, parents are still trying to navigate uh, what, what, how, how do you be a good parent and how do you behave? Uh, well uh, on the field and or be on, on an email thread with a coach and these things. And so, you know, today, uh, you know, I know you taught for a long time. I just think the biggest uh, difference that we have in education and in coaching from the time that you and I were kids till, till now is that kids know that uh, when it comes to something that happens in a practice or a classroom that they feel is unfair or wrongly judged, even if it was, they're not, if they feel that they know that for the most part, they can go to the parent to fight that battle for them. And to me, I think a lot of people blame that on the kids, but I, The the kids wouldn't do that if the parents didn't give them the license to do that. For example, when I was a kid, if I came home from practice and I said, you know, coach made me do this or said this, and and, and he was mean to me and I did this, my dad would have wouldn't even question. He would have said, well, what did you do? You know, you know, and so it was always about. You know, my dad would never go, or my mom would never go fight a battle for me and say, okay, well, you need to figure it out. You need to do this. And I think nowadays as parents, you know, we love our kids. We want those best for them. And so we at some point uh, we all got together, I guess, and said, you know what? When the kids are having a hard time or they're, they're uh, dealing with adversity, I'm going to step in and, and protect them. And, and I think when the kids have seen that modeled from them, they also know, you know what? When adversity hits, I can just go to mom or dad, dinner table, and they will help me fight these battles. And I think – for coaches and educators in general, that just puts them in a really tough spot because the context of the situation, that not being there, and you know, again, kids obviously can uh, see things much differently than the adults. So uh, I just think that's probably the biggest issue we have as parents is not allowing our kids to uh, fight some of the battles. And sometimes we have to step in and we have to say, "Hey, can you keep an eye on this, or can you see what's going on here?" But I think it. it a lot of parents just jump right in and say, well, my son said you did this and this needs to be fixed. And there's no, you know, Hey, here's what, here's what my son said. Here's the situation. Let's talk about, you know, so sometimes they just go straight to you did this. Uh, and, and so that's a big tr- problem for me. It is such interesting because I see it as there's such an opportunity when a child feels marginalized for the parent to empower the child to advocate for themselves Several years yes. ago, my son, he was 10, 
I won't use names, although anyone who knows this story will figure out who it is. But he he was playing on a 10-year-old baseball team. He's average. My wife and I always shoot for average with all of our kids. Just be average, but be an above-average human being, and you're going to be just fine. And he's playing on this team. He's not getting playing time, and the coach was really, really ragging on him. He came home and wanted us to talk to the coach, but, of course, we wouldn't. But what we did is we actually role-played with him on what he can say to the coach. And it's interesting he goes to the coach. The coach is about six foot two, and my kid's about what three foot nine, whatever. <laughs> so you picture this large man towering over a little kid, and I was maybe ten feet away. The coach looks at him. My son says, "Hey, coach, I wonder what I can do to get playing time." And the coach looks at him and says, "And I quote, if you respect me, I'll respect you,' and then walks away." And I'm thinking, "Oh my God, the issue here <laughs> has nothing to do with my son." but has everything to do with a person who just isn't getting it. And yep. I, I really, really, Matt, I worry so much about what we're doing for kids. And I think empowering your kid to speak up to a coach is the same thing as empowering an employee to go talk to their manager or to go yep. talk to someone about a raise. And I had an email from a parent today. I'm coaching my son's eighth grade team. And she was really upset about playing time yesterday And I explained to her that if your child would like more playing time, it is his responsibility to come speak to me. I'll approach the conversation with compassion and empathy and all the tools I need. But it's really important for them. And I really think, Matt, that parents just don't get that it's this long-term goal. And I just want to add one more thing and hear your thoughts. Yeah, I loved the, the way that you prefaced your book. I think it was for my dad, the best coach I ever had. And hearing that really personified a little bit about what you shared earlier about the relationship with you and your father. Yeah, I just I just think, I, you know, it's funny. I think my dad was really tough on me. And, uh, you know, he, he probably, he's probably a prototypical dad back in the 80s uh, coaching. And uh, I think he made a lot of mistakes. But I also learned a lot from him in the sense of uh, just how to he, – he was definitely a player's coach that – players love to play for and had great relationships with those kids and parents. And I, I think for me, I kind of saw that and I thought, you know what, like, that's, that's what I want to, I, I want to be, I want to make sure that when I'm coaching that, that I, I can be labeled as a player's coach in the sense that players knew I, that uh, I cared about them and had good relationships. So uh, that was definitely something he modeled that I saw. Yeah, I, I really relate to that. My dad started our summer business in 1994, and every year, gosh, from 1994 to about 2015, I would meet my dad every morning at 6.30 to prepare the camp day. And I, I feel that those days go by so quickly. When they're actually happening, we don't realize they're happening. And I think it's uh, I, I, it makes me feel sad sometimes because I, I don't think I appreciate it at the time. But looking back, I wouldn't change those moments for anything. Yeah, they, they, and uh, if, if you're a parent listening, I can tell you, like my oldest is 26 years old now, and and the time <laughs> goes by, and we all we all joke about it, but it's it's it really does go by so fast, and especially in the sense of just uh, enjoying the athletic side of it. I, I mean, I I tell parents all the time, you know, if you can find a way to to create an environment that your kid. Uh, quits at 16 versus 12 like those four more years of getting to watch them play will be worth you know 1,000 times what you think it's going to be worth whether that you know they quit at 18 or 17 it's like getting a one more year one more game uh and I think 
parents who have older kids and have gone through parenting a little bit, they would, you know, they would say, man, I would do anything for one to get to see my kid play one more game of little league or basketball or anything, anything like that. And so I think as parents and just in people in general, obviously we, we take for granted how quickly that goes. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, you, you gotta really try hard to be intentional, not to, to miss those times. Create the environment to do that. I, in my backyard right now, I've got a bunch of balls. I've got a football. We've got a we've got a tee. Uh, play, and I can always say to my kids, "Hey, you want to go to the backyard and play catch?" And you know, we've got that stuff back there. Uh, and so, but I'm not going to like grab my kid and kicking and screaming to the backyard to play catch with me. Uh, but I can also create that environment that this is a fun experience playing catch with dad. Dad, you know, throw me some balls in the backyard, going out and shooting. We have a, we got a new hoop for Christmas and, you know, shooting some baskets. And so parents, I think we can create this environment that makes this experience really fun, or we can make an environment that makes it miserable for them and, and, and force them to do X, Y, and Z and kicking and screaming and all the things. And so I just think that, um, you know, we, we've got to create a really good environment for them. Uh, and we've got to be able to do that. And I think it's, Again, parents have to sit down with their kids. I would say 11 to 13 is a great time to say, hey, you know what, buddy? What do you, what do you really love? What's your favorite sport? I mean, my, I have a son who's 10 years old right now. And I would say once every six months, I, we kind of play a little game where I say, okay, Chase, I want you to rank these four sports right now. What do you love the most? Which ones do you like playing the most? Soccer, basketball, baseball? You know, do you want to try lacrosse? Like we have these conversations. Like what do you, what's, what's the most fun for you right now? And he's, you know, he likes all the sports, but like right now he's really enjoying soccer. So I'm like, okay, well let's, let's foster that a little bit. And today he goes to this uh, soccer class that he's really enjoying. So I'm like, okay. And I don't, I don't like force him to do it, but I present this opportunity to go to this, this soccer class. So uh, I just think parents got to do a really good job of that. And I know it's really hard. I think sometimes to decipher the difference between um, pushing your kids through something like a challenge uh, uh, and not to give up versus recognizing that, you know what, they don't really love this thing. I love this thing. And I have the expectations of them playing in college or varsity or whatever the thing is. And I think on the flip side uh, that, you know, the same thing can happen, you know, for me, if I have, if my child is, let's say they're a high school student and they say, dad, I really want to play division one basketball and I want to go play. I want or I want to play college basketball, whatever the thing is. You know, this is my goal. This is my dream. Well, I'm going to say to them, you know, I have coached the Division One level. I've been around a lot of Division One athletes, professional athletes. This is what it takes to go to that level, and this is what it takes to stay at that level. So if you're saying, hey, Dad, this is what I want, then I'm going to you know, show you what that, what that takes, and it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be really hard. But if you're on board for that, you know, I will help you with that. And, but at any time, you say, hey, Dad, you know what? That wasn't my dream. I, I I was wrong. I you know I like playing this, but I, I like this thing over here. Then we'll kind of you know take a seat back in that. But uh, there's a little bit of an accountability piece in there as the kids get older. If they say, "Dad, I really want to make varsity," and then they go out and make zero effort and don't pretty practice in, and then wonder why they got cut, uh, it's different. So uh, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. Yeah. How's your mid range game in the backyard, Matt? You know what? It's not good right now. It's it's really. I, so I played varsity basketball and and uh, no mid range, huh? Yeah, but uh, I'll tell you right now, it's uh, it's this. I need to work. I just need to go back to the basics: layups and free throws. <laughs> My biggest gripe with youth sports is the sideline. 
I wish referees and coaches did a much better job and were actually trained in how to silence parents. The yelling from the sideline, the coaching, I am sometimes appalled. And if people on, if people on my daughter's soccer team are listening to this, I apologize. But the, the, the hurt that happens when the parent yells at the child, I mean, can you imagine if every parent decided to do that? I believe that a parent's job at a game should be to applaud everyone's effort, yep. but focus more not on the outcome of the game, but on the performance, because we focus a lot on winning and losing. And this is not me saying the wussification of America, but if a team is winning playing against a weaker opponent, that to me doesn't really prove much. And so the, the outcome becomes more important, but the, the parental coaching is so destructive to kids and it just sends the worst message. And I'm, and I'm curious, do you think it also decreases overall performance? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, it's been a long time since I, last time I coached non-college, I guess was 2012. So 10 years ago, but I've helped. I, you know, I coached, I helped coach T-ball this year, my four-year-old. I've, I definitely have helped over the last uh, five to six years and I kind, of, I kind of just have three rules for parents in regards to being at a game and being in the bleachers. Rule number one, uh, no instruction. They kind of let the parent the coaches do their job. And guess what? You know, the coaches get their kids, especially the youth level, a couple hours a week. You know, you've got 20 hours a week uh, in your backyard, in the garage, wherever you like to work. You can do it then. But right here at this time, it's the coaches that you're entrusting your kid with. And if you don't entrust your uh, trust that coach with your kid, then pull them from that team and start your own team or whatever you, whatever you need to do to be able to let the coaches do their thing. So number one, no instruction. Number two, like anything out of your mouth has to be positive. You're not yelling at the referees when they make a bad call. They're not, you know, period. Nothing out of your mouth can be uh, negative, period. Uh, and obviously that's very difficult, especially when it comes to referees and umpires and those things. And then rule number three, cheer for someone outside of just your own kid. Uh, and I think, or pay attention or get off your phone at least when other kids are playing on your team. And so, um, for me, you know, I, it's easy. I, I get caught in the same thing. I watch my own kid play. I don't pay attention to anybody else. Uh, but you know, as kids, when they're playing, you know, having your mom cheer for you and dad cheer, that's great. That's that, for a lot of kids. That's really fulfilling, but you know, imagine an entire bleachers that is cheering for every kid on, on the team uh, on their side and not just their own kid. I just think that, I think that's really valuable to kids. And I think uh, on the flip side, you know, having that crazy parent or that, that yells instruction or yells at the referees, it's not just embarrassing, but as a kid, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine there's too many kids that say, you know what? My best performances are when my dad was just berating me from the bleachers or the, the you know, complaining about this. Like, I, I don't know too many kids who's, who would say the discouragement and anger and yelling was a better motivator than, right. um, you know, encouragement and cheering and, you know, fear based coaching and yelling. It can motivate. Absolutely. It, it, if you said, if you don't make score 20 points tonight, you know, you're going to be walking home or whatever. The th I mean, yeah, that's going to motivate me. Now, would you say that's effective or well or healthy? Of course not. Uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of pa parents are a lot. I think they accept um, from themselves and other people that are around their kids this uh, fear based motivation or other these styles. And again, sure, they they can work. But are they effective? Are they healthy? Are they long lasting? Absolutely not. 
I worry about those kids because if, if they're receiving that feedback on the pitch in front of everyone, I would imagine they're getting the same feedback at home. And then the psychological and the emotional effect really does impact in particular when you're at that pre-adolescent, adolescent age, and you're trying to learn more about yourself. But I'm curious, we've talked a lot about coaching. Do you see a correlation though, between a little league coach and a CEO of a business who's managing 50 employees? Really? No, I don't. I, I, sometimes I always joke around when parents ask me like, well, what's the difference between coaching T-ball and, and, and college? I said, they're just taller. Uh, that, 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 and that's really the case. It's like, you know, people are people. Uh, and I think the difference between, a, a, you know, an executive uh, running a team or something like that is just that I, to me, it's really just about how feedback is given, how communication is given. This, that to me is probably the biggest differences. But I think things like empathy, encouragement, ownership, uh, and, and the, thing, the life lessons that are taught, I think they're, you know, very similar, but I just think obviously as adults, you know, uh, receiving criticism or feedback can be done in, in a different way, uh, obviously than I'm, if I'm dealing with a nine or 10 year old. And, and I think, uh, we just have to remember, uh, a lot of times that <laughs> these are kids and they need to be loved on like kids. And, uh, you know, I think for some people, especially as coaches, I, I, one of the things I I get discouraged about with some coaches is that they – and I was this way in, t in my early career. I saw the athletes as the athletes, like in the sense that we're, you know, this, was, this kid's a third baseman, and he does this, and he hits this well and pitches this well. And uh, it wasn't until later into my career that I really was better at relationship and, and investing in, the, in, the, in my athletes that when you uh, get to know the kid – uh, and have a relationship with them, I, the, the way you talk to them is differently than if you see them as a stat or a number or a position on your team. Uh, and the way that you talk to them, the way that you uh, engage with them is just different. And I, and I think that that to me are the same qualities that embody great leadership, that relationship yep. using their name. I was talking to a client earlier today who's having a hard time giving feedback. And my advice was, just ask them, you know, is this an okay time to give you some feedback? And it yes. really allows the other person. Uh, I coach middle school basketball. I'm going to have a practice today. I'm going to do the same thing. Hey, your layup, you're on the wrong foot. Can I give you some feedback? And if the answer is no, well, there's not much I can do to help you. Exactly. So I'd love to just kind of wrap up. I, I like to end with a couple of fun questions. My first question, and this is going to be a tough one. Are you sitting down for this, Matt Lau? Sure. California State University has 23 campuses. Do you agree? Yes. Did you go to, you went to school there, correct? I hope you did. I went to a couple different Cal States, actually. That's, that, that number actually seems low to me, but I'll say yes. <laughs> Wikipedia. Who besides Matt Lyle have been some notable alum who've attended Cal State University? Oh, man. I said there's 23 different ones. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I can't, I couldn't even, I couldn't tell you one single. Uh, Cal State alumni off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, you're in you're in mixed company then, Matt. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Adam Lambert, the guy who's now the lead singer for Queen. Wow. Gwen yeah. Stefani. Gwen Stefani. There you go. James Cameron, the director. Who, I, I, who by I, the I, way, he's been married five times. Just just for a side. <laughs> I, I I actually I, I'm a big fan of of all those people so far. 
Kevin Costner, and if you've if you've seen the show Yellowstone, my wife and I are watching it on yep. Peacock. Highly recommend. We are and as well. TJ Dillashaw, who's a former UFC bantamweight fighter. So th- there's some there's some Cal State trivia. What is what is the mascot for California State University on the East Bay campus? Uh, it's the pioneer. It's the pioneers. Yes. Do you know how that's how the pioneer came into how it was founded? I don't. So I'm glad you asked this because I am just full of knowledge of the Cal State <laughs> University pioneers. Uh, the space program started in 1959 pre-Cold War, and John F. Kennedy called it the New Frontier, whereas the school was started, they thought the pioneer theme would work, and therefore they are now the pioneers. There's your there's some information. Interesting. I, I, I was going to assume that had to do with uh, you know the the gold rush and people coming to California back then, pioneers, but that that's that I, I learned something today. <laughs> All right. I hope you can, as a professional coach, I hope you can answer these questions. Okay. Barry, Barry Bonds, Hall of Famer, yes or no? Yes. Pete Rose. Mm, yes. <laughs> Why did you hesitate? Well, I, I'm. I actually, I, I, I despise Barry Bonds, and I grew up an A's fan, and and uh, so not the person, but you know. The things I, I grew up rooting against Bonds. My family's all Giants fans. I was Ace fan. So for me, the things that Bonds and many others and Pete Rose did, I, I personally, I, ha, I take issue with. Now, having said that, if we're talking about the the Hall of Fame being honoring people who played the game and the accomplishments they had, like I think, no, of course, those guys are in the game, and it's not a it's not a morality Hall of Fame. If that was the case, we probably could delete half the you know people in, in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, to be, so I the re, I reason I only the only reason I make a sound effect on both of those guys is because I kind of gr- I I I grunt at the at the um, the. It, things that they did is like, oh man, I wish you know, I wish they hadn't done those things, and uh, I wish I wish I hadn't rooted against those guys a little bit. But as a coach and a baseball person, I I hundred percent believe both of them should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think uh, Sammy Sosa has ten years were up, so I don't think he's going to make it to the Hall of Fame, which is really interesting because if you think about it, in nineteen ninety eight, him and Mark McGuire pretty much saved Major League Baseball. And granted, they did it in a way that was dishonest, unethical, but. Major League Baseball turned the other way because they were getting 40,000 people in the stadiums. Yep. All right. One hitter, three and two, bases loaded, bottom of the seventh inning. Who do you got up to bat? Uh, now, today, nowadays? Anyone you want. Uh, you know, all time, I'm going to say Shoeless Joe Jackson. Wow. In the book uh, that I in the book I published, real quick, I published a book on saber metrics and analytics and how we can use that anecdotally for emotional intelligence. And I wrote a whole chapter on the Black Sox scandal and and really why people cheat. And it's ultimately because of the owner doesn't respect them. And Shoeless Joe obviously had his statistics in the World Series, which is why the movie Eight Men Out was filmed. Yep. So, sorry to distract you from that. No, I said, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's literally my probably my favorite baseball movie, um, besides, besides maybe Field of Dreams, because I'm so fascinated by that entire story. And for me, I grew up, I'm fascinated by Shula Joe Jackson in general. It's like I said, just like you said, it's the stats and everything, the, the context of that entire scandal and how it affected these people's lives for the rest of their careers, the rest of their lives. 
uh, to me, it's just it's it's fascinating because I think in 2022, if that was to happen, I, th- I, I think the world would view it a lot differently. I think they may think a lot of those guys would be in big trouble and that stuff would have you know bad stuff could have would have happened. But I still think that like you like you're saying, I think the context of it is much greater than uh, what actually how it played out. My platform for doing this is also showing in a business model why an employee might cheat, why an employee's performance goes down. And oftentimes it's not the employee's fault. It's the person leading them. And I think we've in our talk today, we've been able to identify, too, that if a child is underperforming, sometimes it's not the child. It could be the parent. It could be pressures from the coach. So to me, it's it's very um it's very common for us to look at these morality stories and how they all revolve in all aspects of our life. Yeah, and I'll just say that one of my one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who it was, but it has stuck with me is uh, in regards to what you're talking about is uh, the quote says, "When a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower." Uh, mm-hmm. And to me, that is, that's kind of coaching in in, in a nutshell. Like I think the best coaches. Uh, if if you have an athlete who's uncoachable, who doesn't get it, this person can't—they're just not understanding. Uh, and I think as coaches, uh, we we write them off and say, you know, they can't do it. And to me, uh, I think fixing the environment in which they grow, not the athlete, I think is uh, the better question to ask. Game seven, World Series. Who do you got pitching? Anyone? And you can't, and you cannot say, you cannot say Dave Stewart, by the way, is an ace. <laughs> um, you know, I think right now, honestly, um, I, I'm probably going to say Max Scherzer. I mean, I, I, I don't know. For me, um, I mean, there's so many, there's so many great guys right now, but like, if we're talking about right now, playing right now, um, you know, it, for me, it would be hard to say anyone other than I just Scherzer to me has been a guy that's just been unreal. I'm going with Sandy Koufax. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, it, uh, it, historically speaking, I think that's a pretty fair. Uh, yeah. a uh, pretty, great pretty book, fair. by the way. If you ever read uh, Jane Levy wrote a biography, the only biography on him. It's really interesting what he did. Uh, and you've already answered my question about the best movie besides Sandlot. And I read your article, by the way, on your website. It was really interesting. If anyone gets a chance, check out Matt's website. There's a cool article on the Sandlot, and he kind of deconstructs the movie, which I thought was really cool. Last question. Your coaching life has had a lot of ups and downs. I feel that, generally speaking, coaches are kind of hired to be fired. Look at the NFL. They have nine openings. How does Matt Lyle handle and manage all the transformation and all the disappointments that come in the field of coaching? Um, it's a good question. I, I think for me, all the adversity that I have faced on the field, um, I have just always seen it as opportunities to grow and get better. And I think for me, um, Matt Lyle, the person, uh, I, if I'm going to do something, I want to be the best at it. And I don't want to be better than someone else at it. I just want to be the very best at it that I can be. And so um, I don't have the ability to coach a team or do a task uh, at anything less than wanting to be the best at it. And so for me, anytime if I recognize that I'm not the best at something or there's a failure in there, to me, it's like, okay, all right, well, that means you're not the best. So what do you keep going until you, you are. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, I I have been fortunate the last uh, six or so years at coaching the college level to have a lot of success. And and we've 
have I've always been able to um, uh, outperform or uh, you know do better than everyone has expected uh, at every turn in the last few years. And to me, uh, you know, I look back every year and like, okay, well, next year it's not going to happen. You know, if one of these years the the shoe's going to drop and we're not going to have success. And you know, that that year is going to come. But for the last uh, few, been very fortunate that where I've been uh, have been able to win. Can I give you some feedback now? Yes. I just modeled, by the way, how to do this for for those listening. Um, I I just, even today on LinkedIn, you posted a video of a basketball player spinning the ball on a finger of a child in a wheelchair. And I think your quote was, it it costs nothing to be kind. And I just, I love the work that you do. And I hope that you can recognize and know that there's people out there, Matt, that really appreciate all the things. And I really want to say thank you for taking the time. This is a real big honor to have a chance to talk to you. And I'd love a chance to have you share some information, how people can get in touch with you. I, I almost was going to say you've touched a lot of people, but then I realized my middle school audience would be like, you can't say you touch people. So <laughs> you, you've been able to connect with a lot of people, and I'd love to have you an opportunity to share some of your uh, links. And I'll also make sure to put some links um, on the bottom of, of the page. Yeah, so the the best way to to follow along, I guess, in my crazy life and journey uh, is uh, across the board. I would say Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, my handle for all the, all of those things is at Coach Lyle. So it's, I'm pretty easy to find. And if you Google, uh, you can find me on all those things. And then uh, if you're a baseball softball parent, I have a website called thehittingvault.com. Uh, and the best way to describe that website is uh, the master class of hitting. And it, it's a it's a fully encompassing, comprehensive um website that teaches kids how to be better hitters and college players and high school hitters and all that as well. So, uh, but if you want to learn more about me, the best place to do that is just, uh, like I said, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter at coach Lyle. Matt Lyle. Thank you so much. I'd love to get a chance to do this again sometime. I would appreciate that very much. And I thanks for having me on. Okay. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you enjoyed the show. There are some great podcasts out there, and I'm very humbled that you decided to hit the play button and join me. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Coach Matt Lyle. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please email me at mark, M-A-R-K, at elevatedleader.com. I have some really interesting webinars I've been running. Two of them are Empowerment, Turn Down the Noise and Ignite Your Team, and my personal favorite, Everything I Know About Leadership I Learned from Summer Camp. These are perfect for any school, business, youth baseball group. Love to hear from you. You can also visit my website at www.elevatedleader.com as well as visit me on LinkedIn. I want to end today with a great quote from none other than Steve Jobs. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple, but it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. Thanks again. Have a great week, everyone.